0: Grand Street Mind
2: the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. I'm John, and this week in a change to our regular service, we're going to talk about the tube. Stop looking at me like that. So, tell us who you are and what you do. We'll take it from sure. there.
1: Uh, I'm James O'Malley. I'm the interim editor of Gizmodo UK and a freelance sort of writer journalist type person.
2: Cool. Yeah, we love those. <laughs> you've, you've, you've written for us a bit in the past before you went off and kind of did something far more exciting <laughs> and, and glamorous in editing Gizmodo. But you're, you're, you're here with us today to mm. talk about um, The Tube but something very specific about the tube. Tell us tell us what you're going to talk about.
1: Yeah, I'm going to talk about how uh, TFL has secretly been... Well, I'd love to say they were secretly spying on us, but unfortunately they did it all very publicly and very transparently. So yeah, um, if you remember around November last year, you might have seen signs around the tube saying uh, they're take, uh, taking part in their trial where they're going to be tracking people's usage of the Wi-Fi on there. So uh, each tube station has... Um, you know, Wi-Fi access provided by Virgin Media now, so it's covered in Wi-Fi hotspots. Most of the underground stations, which are literally underground, have it. Um, and what they were going to do, they were going to be logging to see where people were logging on and using this data to geolocate passengers. So for instance, if during the trial you had uh, the Wi-Fi on your phone switched on, so you didn't need to be actually connected to the Wi-Fi network, you just had to have Wi-Fi on your phone switched on, um, the TFL routers would pick it up and and log you into a database and the reason this works is because all of the all um, phones and Wi-Fi devices, so phones, tablets, computers, everything like that, um, each each device has a MAC address. This isn't anything to do with Apple; it's just like a hardware ID number that's unique to your phone. So they can basically track you. So the idea would be that as you're as you're sat on the tube, uh, you know, browsing the internet in between stations, as you went from you know King's Cross to Russell Square to Hoban to Covent Garden to Leicester Square and so on, it would pick you up at each thing and log you and go, oh, you're, you're just there. So they'd be able to figure out what journey you're taking.
2: But why, why is this interesting? Because, I mean, kudos on, on getting the order <laughs> of the stations right there because mm. I was like following up on my head. But everybody knows... Mm. Like, or the tube map tells you what all the stations are Mm. in. So people know that if you're on the Piccadilly line from King's Cross heading south, you're going to go to Russell Square next. So why is this
1: interesting? So I I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. So first of all, you've got the sort of happy reasons, I guess. So uh, it allows TFL to sort of better understand how we use the tube, because at the moment, all they can tell about our journeys is when we touch in with our Oyster card or our contactless card and when we touch out. So if you go from, for example, uh, Liverpool Street to Victoria, TFL, know that you've travelled between those two stations, but they don't know how you've got there when there are multiple route options. So using the the Wi-Fi tracking on um, on your phone, and they've done the, they've on the, in the research and the, in the documents that they sent me under freedom of information, you can sort of see how they've verified that it does work. They can tell whether you say, for example, went via Oxford Circus because you would take the Central Line to Oxford Circus and then the Victoria Line down to Victoria, or you just zip around the Circle Line. Or and, and um, they actually put some percentages on this. So in, on this one slide of a presentation I obtained. They actually revealed that forty-four percent of people taking that journey take um, the Central Line, and the Victoria Line, twenty-six percent yeah. just sit on the Circle. Line. It takes a bit longer, but I think I'd be lazy and I'd probably do that as well. And then crazily, there was like one percent of people who go from Liverpool Street to um, I think it was Euston Square, and then they walk to Warren Street and then take the Victoria Line down to Victoria. So that those, was a, a really... these people are crazy. Completely convoluted journey and stuff like that, but I, I think it's. it's but my, sorry, I just <laughs> interrupt because my <laughs>
2: absolute favourite line in this piece was, "And if you change twice, once at Hoban and then again at Green Park, then congratulations, you're a psychopath." Um, but two percent of people <laughs> do do that, and you should never change Green Park.
1: Yeah, never. Exactly. I, I can't understand why why it would um, why it would happen. I mean, someone did suggest to me it could be maybe people have like accessibility needs, but I, I haven't done the, the thinking on that to work out if that would actually make it any easier. But I think what, what it means for TF is it means they can theoretically squeeze even more capacity out of the tube network because the problem London has, as as you know, as I've read your many articles saying, you know, it's super busy, everything is super overloaded. When crossrail opens, that's gonna be full from day one. And this means that, theoretically, they can analyse the journeys people are taking, so they can plan better, they can, you know, figure out where new tube lines need to be built, or how better to sort of manage demand and encourage people, because, you know, you get, like, the tricky signage. So if you go around King's Cross Station, um, the signage actually lies to you, and it tells you to transfer between different lines. Um, it'll often send you the long way round, because the tunnels are larger, so they can fit more people in. Um, and basically, like, maybe this could help them, write, you know, figure out more lies to put on signs, you know, to, to better increase capacity, without having to... Do the expensive thing and, and dig new tunnels.
2: Just as a, a footnote, I do mm. find it very odd just the way that costing everybody a couple of extra minutes in their journey through King's Cross can mm. make the whole system more efficient and therefore speed everyone up mm. at the same time. It's just the, the, the counterintuitive log, logic there is very, very strange.
1: Yeah, it's like, I guess it's like a collective action thing, isn't it? Whereas if everyone's sort of an individual, um, you know, we all, we're all selfish. We would want to take the shortcut, but... So maybe being, dece- being deceived is ultimately a good thing, and we should we should just accept that. <laughs> I don't
2: well, yeah, I mean, I, I Kings Cross is, is one of my my local tube stations. Mm. And like years ago, when I used to have to commute out to Hammersmith in West London, uh, I would actually have to get on the the tube to do that rather than just kind of walking loosely through Clarkham, I as they do these days. Uh, and and some days you literally couldn't get into the station mm. because you know obviously Kings Cross and St Pancras are two major rail terminals. It's one of the busiest stations. Maybe, maybe the third busiest on the whole tube or something. Mm. So sometimes you'd just be stood in this massive crowd outside waiting for them to reopen the doors because there were so many Mm. people in there. But
1: that's that's the interesting thing, so the other thing that they were able to do with this Wi-Fi data isn't just track people going from station to station to work out their journeys across the entire network, but they were also able to build heat maps of individual stations and work out how people move around them, so for example they worked out that it takes 80 seconds to walk from, I think it was one end of Paddington to the other, I think it was Paddington but also um, they they, they released a heat map of Euston Station, so all of these images I've seen are basically taken from like a PowerPoint presentation that someone at TFL headquarters gave to some of the people at tfl headquarters which and so on this heat map you can see that for example uh, the victoria line uh, st- the Victoria Line platforms at Euston are the most crowded, the most busiest. So theoretically, in you know maybe if this data, if they start doing this full time, if they start tracking us all the time, you could get to a point where something like City Mapper or Google Maps, when you when it plots your journey, it takes into account how busy the station's likely to be, so whether it's likely to be closed, and maybe you'll get a little indication saying, oh don't go that, way. if you go that way, it will be really busy. So you might want to take a take a slightly slower way. Maybe you will want to go via, um, <laughs> you know, change at Green Park and go to Liverpool Street to Victoria because Oxford Circus is so busy or something like that.
2: Yeah, city CityMapper already, or at least it used to, I don't know if it still does, but it does tell you which part of the platform you want mm. for your change, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is which is also useful, but might be one of those things that kind of actually makes bits more busy. Like if you get everyone piling on to mm. one bit of the train, because that's where everyone gets off for the major change on that line, you could end up with half the train set empty. Mm. So again, you kind of wonder if actually you need to be giving people what looks like bad advice <laughs> <laughs> just to kind of make everyone's lives easier.
1: Mm. No, I, I, I think that's a, that's, that's a. Again, I can't think of a particularly insightful thing to say in response to that, but that, that's, that's another interesting point.
2: So <laughs> let's. Um, I mean, are there any kind mm. of privacy concerns here? Because people don't necessarily want public yeah. authorities or corporate authorities come to fat. Tracking them, do they?
1: Yeah, this is this is the sort of uh, the, the, the big flip side to it, and my, my, I'm sort of slightly paranoid about these things. I'm i I'm, I'm a hypocrite because, like, you know, I'm a technology journalist and I, I embrace modern technology. And my house is, you know, stocked chock full of Google Home and Amazon Alexa, listening to me all the time and all that sort of thing. But I am slightly paranoid, and my sort of mental test for this is: how could this technology be deployed in, say, Russia or China to <laughs> to sort of control the population? And um, you can sort of easily imagine how if you can. Track individuals um, using this technology. Now, TFO in their trial, they did very specifically say, uh, you know, the data was sort of um, anonymised and aggregated, and they sort of did everything properly. But if you know, you can imagine the same sort of thing in the hands of, you know, Putin or the Chinese, yeah. Chinese government uh, being used to to track individuals to the extent that you know the Stasi could only have ever dreamed of, because you'd be able to go, well, where did this individual go in very specific terms?
2: Yeah, I mean, I. I... I'm never sure how how worried to be about these things because mm. like I mean so so I remember sort of sarcastically putting a comment on Facebook years ago saying, you know, if if Facebook can work out how to make money out of, you know, my pictures of kittens or like you mm. know, me looking grumpy on the beach or whatever it is, then you know fair play to them. Good luck. <laughs> I'm not doing anything with those. You're giving me a free service, absolutely fine. And I, I just genuinely couldn't see why this would bother people but A friend responded by saying, yeah, but I put pictures of my four-year-old daughter on there. Mm. I said, okay, that's a different equation. I kind of see why, like, that would make you uncomfortable. Mm. Right?
1: I think well, I, th- I think it could be the same thing. So there's a, there was, a, I think I read something a while back about how China wants to implement basically a sort of social scoring system. So based upon your sort of online activities and your other activities, you'd be given essentially like a credit score for your sort of behaviour. I think uh, so, um, and this will be able to be called up by various public authorities and so on. Um, so if you, you know, if you do have opinions which don't gel with the, the regime of the day then you, know, you could be subject to more harassment or more close tracking and surveillance which could you know, stop any sort of dissent I'm
2: slightly worried you're giving Theresa May ideas here well, so okay like, maybe I'm weird how do people in general feel about this stuff?
1: So, the other interesting thing about this sort of massive cache of documents TFL sent me, and I was delighted when I got this sort of FOI back, um, was they also, uh, again, they were very responsible about it. I'm you know, Full credit to them because they actually surveyed sort of uh, passenger attitudes and customer attitudes to um, different types of tracking. So, the, the tube tracking was the obvious one, and I think that was sort of um, reasonably well received. But people were more skeptical of, for example, um, Bluetooth beacons in the roads tracking cars, was another one they asked about. And I thought the weirdest one actually. Actually, or the most surprising one was they asked what people how people would react if they were to get uh, geo positioning data from our phones Directly taken from the phone networks. So as you're walking around London, you you know, your four G or whatever is connected to you know, O2 or Vodafone or EE, or whatever. Um, if they, if I were to take this data and use this to sort of track where people go above ground, which you can, you can immediately see the sort of um, usefulness in terms of transport planning and public realm and that, because you can work out where people actually go and where you need to, you know, build wider pavements or something mm-hmm. to help people get around more easily. Um, but at the same time, that seems to creep people out more than the Wi-Fi tracking. Yeah, so you do
2: wonder what they're doing. There, don't you? <laughs> like, where are they that they're not supposed to be?
1: Well, uh, so this, so this, so yeah, the other, the other sort of un- un- thing, the scary thing that underpins is we know, we know that uh, the, you know the surveillance state is something that um, the security services are very keen on. We've seen from the Edward Snowden NSA disclosures that um, governments of all kinds are wanting to to track and monitor behaviour in bulk without any sort of cause to do so. So I, I think I think a little bit of paranoia in this isn't necessarily a bad thing.
2: Paint me a picture of like mm. what ultimately could lovely public authorities like TfL, mm. who do have our best interests at heart, like what could they do with all this sort of pile of data they're getting about how people move? How could it change how we move around London?
1: Basically, it can make the whole. Um, transport system more efficient without having to spend the money on building new tunnels buying new trains and doing all, doing all the expensive stuff so um if they can make us uh you, you know take different routes by adapting their their signage or watching how we move and sort of accommodating us in terms of uh, how they man- you know how they, how they manage the flow of people putting up more barriers putting you know all these sort of subtle sort of nudges i guess you, you might, um, it they could basically mean they can squeeze more people onto the existing transport infrastructure which which is a which is a very good thing it's not just TfL doing this as well. I mean, this, that's that's the other sort of um, big side. of them. I mean, the reason I, um I've written about TfL's thing about this is because they're a public authority. I was able to send a Freedom of Information request in. But you know, tons and tons of private companies are doing this. This is now fairly commonplace, but it's not particularly well known.
2: Did you see the um, Did you see the mapper smart bus the other week? Yes. Which was quite fun. Uh, mm. where, where like uh, City Map is obviously a sort of a journey planning app, mm. um, but they decided to try running their own bus to see mm. what it was like and to see like whether because um, which, which I actually sort of travelled on. And the guy, one of their their developers, was telling me basically they think there's a gap in the market between buses and private cabs mm. for like you know. B- b- vehicles that could take like 8 to 20 people basically mm. that might kind of plug some of those sort of last mile bits
1: yeah well I, I guess if using, you know, using the data from our phones and being able to track us basically door to door rather than just station to station or whatever that enables them to you know better know exactly where we want to be so they can have these sort of on demand services I mean CityMap aren't the only ones doing it I think uh, Ford they recently bought a small company it's name Escapes Me now but based, they were based in San Francisco which runs basically a, it's, like, it's like carpooling so people going to work and essentially a large minivan doing the same sort of thing and even uber they I remember uber they they um, announced they were going to have um, vehicles running on specific set routes in in, in it was like a trial in the Virgin city and everyone just sort of said isn't that a bus <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: they do seem to be very very slowly and carefully reinventing the bus mm. but the, but I, I mean I, I suppose the kind of the unifying problem here mm. is physical space is limited i mean mm. all the kind of you know sort the, of the silicon valley type so we're talking about how like you know uh, autonomous vehicles can change the world and so on they never explain how to create more actual space to put the cars mm. but you know if you can use data and technology like this to squeeze more people in as you say then you are effectively kind of increasing mm. your capacity
1: yeah on remember during the um, Olympics when the Olympics came to London it was tra- traveling around London for those that month was just incredible because half the city left, and um, everything sort of worked great, completely contrary to all our fears but the reason it, part, part of the reason it was really good was because they managed to sort of encourage this behavioral change um, and making people travel at different times or work from home and so on, and that basically effectively created more capacity in the city for transport so if you know if data can be used to sort of drive that sort of change then that's that's a good thing
2: so to sum up
1: data is good for you yeah as long as it doesn't turn into an awful totalitarian nightmare Uh oh can't wait
3: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news
2: Okay, so we've done we've done the important bit. We've done something that actually involves some reporting, and you know, but we all know that the whole reason a lot of people who listen to this podcast do it is to hear me piss about with stupid ideas. So I've invited our very own stupid idea, Mr. Stephen Bush, back down into the podcast chamber, so that we can. We'll rank the tube lines. We decided to because that's yes. that's some quality content, isn't it? That's yeah. some some real real hard work we're going to put into this, from, from worst to best. Yes, let's do this. Okay, so start at the bottom. We've got how many? Okay, first off, how many tube lines are there? Twelve. Are You confident on that?
3: I'm pretty confident. Yeah.
2: There are eleven. Eleven. There are eleven.
3: Okay, wait, 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 wait. What are they counting?
2: Well i mean this is, this is what we need to to work out before we so i mean the, the, there are eleven there've always been eleven
3: No, I'm sorry, the London overground clearly counts. it's got a roundel. there's
2: everything has a roundel these days. The tram has a roundel. no, but the but, does the tram go that.
3: underground The DLR goes underground. I would count the DLR, 12, 12. Not a tube the D- line. No, the DLR no. definitely counts, right? The overground's a bit weird because it's actually like eight different lines. And occasionally on my station platform at Stoke Newington, people will kind of come up to me and go like, how do I get a train to Shoreditch? And I just, you know, one of those things where it's like, I know it's not appropriate to laugh, but you just think, I-, I find it so hard to start, actually, Shoreditch is a bad example. You just, go, just go to Liverpool Street and walk. But, you know, like when someone goes, how do I get to Highbury and Islington from Stoke Newington train station? you're just like, well, um okay i have i have are.
2: an i have an overground fact for you yeah that um apparently uh, tfo was seriously talking about giving them different line branding identities and showing them in different colors on the map so instead of all being orange you would have like you know a, what they call them hollow tram lines you know have had like a purple one and a blue one and a green one and so on and boris johnson said no
3: Wow, Boris Johnson bad guy hates commuters. He hates, hates individual
2: line identities. Um, I mean, I don't know why he would have done that.
3: I think there's I think there's possibly a case to be made that perhaps if they'd done it right away when there wasn't really the buy into the overground as as you were sort of another parochial lifelong Londoner will know, there was a long suspicion of kind of commuter railways because they'd just been a byword for just i'm yeah, yeah a lot of them are terrible yeah um i
2: actually grew up on one of the good ones it was you know, yeah. so like you know the the line from liverpool street to shenfield which is oh, yeah, now to, the c2c no no it's Crossrail. it's, oh. it's now i can't remember what the brand
3: identity is yeah. the moment.
2: but but that one's always been quite good where you get a train every five minutes yeah.
3: um yeah. so i think then possibly they had to call it the london overground in order to sort of remove the stench around it but the dlr definitely counts it
2: doesn't count it's not a tube line well, so DLR is also about, according to Wikipedia, it's seven different lines. Uh, well, <laughs> Wikipedia is wrong. Um, there I mean, was so... a period in the 90s where they tried, to, where they tried out different colours on the DLR map and it didn't really take.
3: So my, I, I'm going to maintain that what we need to do is have 13. 13 lines, right? I was wrong about 12, but I was wrong because there weren't enough. Overground, DLR, the other ones, right? Those are the ones we're ranking.
2: Okay, but both the district and northern lines have a claim to be two different lines. Yeah, but they don't they do they've got branches branches on lines okay but the for the problem with the district line is you've got branches going off in both directions from Miles court
3: yeah but they don't form two complete lines right if there was one which went from like upminster to
2: the only there literally there is literally one station on the entire you can get a train from upminster to
3: Q. what do you believe no, what i mean about? is if you could only get one from upminster to Q, and then you could only get one to i don't know the other branch if i was listening to this in the past Stephen and aj would just be like wow you sold out man i could have told you so i would have enjoyed this podcast so much i'd have been your number one fan our number one fan is angry sigh hi julia how are you doing I would have been a bigger fan than her. Right? I don't think you would. I used to know, I could have told you exactly how long every tube line was. The longest is the central line, 52 miles, backed fans.
2: Well, is that just, is
3: that end to end or is that counting branches? I have no idea how it's metri- how it's measured. I had a big book. Well, then you're not a I, proper fan, are well, you? Well, I, you, I was once. Now I do other things.
2: Um, but, but yeah, OK, the district line is really two lines because there is only one station that is served by every district line train. No, That's but it, course. It,
3: it's not two lines because if it was two lines, you would you would have to you would have to choose which one of those two lines that you on to go anywhere in the network. Right. But if you're going from, say, Blackfriars to Westminster, a journey I do sometimes as many as four times in a given day um, from our office to, to, to the, the Palace of Westminster, uh, I, I don't go, oh, I'd better wait for the. For this one, I can just get on any district line change. You've and there are two branches. I hate to tell you something, but
2: you've forgotten the Edgware Road branch. So, so that doesn't. This is the point. This is the whole point. This is why it's a separate line. But
3: you can't only go Edgware
2: Road to Kensington Olympia or to Wimbledon. But you can't get Edgware Road to, to Richmond. You certainly can't get Edgware Road to Upminster, because, you know, it goes the wrong bloody way. It's a separate line.
3: No, no, no. It, it, anyway, we're going to The Northern
2: rank... Line is also two lines, if okay. we're realistic about it, But
3: that. we're going to rank them for the purpose. What kind
2: of messed up city has two different lines through the centre of town... And calls them part of the same line. It's oh. not a line, it's a network. Okay. And we just do it to wind the tourists up, right? It's just so that, like, you can occasionally bump into people in Good Street who are like, where's Borough Market? And we can go, <laughs> you, you rube.
3: You hick. I feel, and to be honest, you're starting to come across a bit like Michael Douglas in that film where he kills a bunch of people falling down, that one.
2: You know what I'm actually doing? Well. At the start of this conversation, when well, we had an argument about how many lines there were. Since then, I've been looking for a list of all the lines on on, on the internet. And it's surprisingly difficult to do, just so we don't miss well, any.
3: Okay, but it's fine. We've got our 13 lines. 11 right. lines. I'm going to rank the 13 lines, okay? Regardless, I'm ranking all 13.
2: Sure. Okay. And John Hurt is a proper Doctor Who. He
3: is a proper Doctor Who. He is,
2: actually. Actually, this is yeah. Richard D. Grant.
3: I, sh- I think you should have gone for the massive 12-pack from uh, and, uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah. So the Peter Cushing of this line... Actually, I don't think Peter Cushing is the worst. Um, so the, the Peter... Uh, it is Peter Davison, isn't it? Can the, we, the worst of the lines. The Britta. The Peter Davison. The opposite you, of the, Batten, Batten.
2: Okay. Peter Davison's great. It's Colin Baker.
3: Colin Baker's got better um, Big Finish audio adventures. No,
2: no, no. We're not having this. We're not having this. Let's just keep off this. The
3: worst, the worst tube line. The worst tube line is the Bakerloo, right?
2: No, for it's, a couple
3: of reasons, right? Mm. One, it's weirdly hot. Two, it smells. It stinks. Oh, it's it been stink. in service for far too long. You sit down and you sometimes regret. I've occasionally sat down and left with my trousers marked. It's grimy. It has too like and because obviously there are there are many metrics for what makes a tube line bad, which I imagine we will discuss as the podcast goes on but one of them is surely the number of people who mill about on it who who are you know a a school trip from another country and that that line is chock full london zoo regent's park the south bank it's just full of things where you just like are surrounded by like children who sit there being like teenage and and german at you so they can't understand that you're trying to move them out of the way but
2: it's it's pretty quick It goes to some good places. It's not like, I think right at the bottom, I would probably put, I hate to say it because it's my childhood line, but I think it's the district.
3: The district line takes you to some of our greatest museums, space music, national history museum, science museum. Okay, my local local
2: tube station growing up was Hornchurch. Hornchurch in the wilds of zone six on the district line. Do you know how long it takes to get from Hornchurch to zone one?
3: But that's what's exciting Three about years. it. Three years. That's, what's that's how long it takes. That's what's exciting about it. I grew it.
2: up thinking like, a, like, a, like a, I was literally at the end of the world because like, you can walk faster
3: than the bloody Q, district line. Q. Like, I mean, this thing's like the district so line To get has, from
2: Hornchurch to Kew
3: takes six years. The district line has the whole of London in its, its great mystery. I mean, you could I could write a long read in which I detail how every stop of the, of the district line speaks to the wonder of London. Do Dagenham
2: East for me right now. How does Dagenham East speak to the wonder of London? (laughs) You made a rod for your own bat there. Dagenham East,
3: Dagenham East. No, I've got this right. Um, Speaks to the variety of people who live in London, right? So Dagenham East, where it's the second whitest borough. Yeah, and it's the people who don't like the, the diversity of people who live in London. So They is the home of London. going very like, very
2: important and long-standing racist.
3: basicallyically they they're going, "Oh, the, the East End's changed, hasn't it? You don't see anyone you recognize now. I used to have an East End accent growing up, and yet I can't do one. But anyway, um, I, I, as
2: I think I've told the podcast before, I have one that I can only do when I'm drunk, or like when it's embarrassing when someone's like fixing our plumbing. That's not a metaphor. I mean when
3: someone is literally fixing the plumbing, yeah. I will drop into this kind of estuary English, which I can't do. Otherwise, it's weird. Yeah. Um, um, I have a friend who, she has a Scottish accent when she's talking to her parents on the phone. And I'm really fascinated by, so she speaks in English to her long-term boyfriend. I'm fascinated when she goes to visit her parents and he's like, will you do this for me? And they're like, will you do that for me? Like, what does, what, what, what how does she sound? There, there is a way of finding this out. Feels like a lot of effort.
2: but You um, have to become her boyfriend.
3: I'm 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 quite pleased with my current domestic circumstances, TVH, but... Um, You're not showing commitment to the courts. I'm painfully aware that we've now
2: been going 11 minutes and we've done two lines. We've done two
3: lines. Okay, so what's okay, the um,
2: second worst line in your wrong view? I think, actually... I hate to say it, but I think it's the circle.
3: Um, why? Not a circle. All right, UKIP. I mean, UKIP did want UKIP to fix did, this, right? Yeah, yeah, um,
2: but but okay, they had very good reasons for breaking the Circle Line, which is it removes the flat junction at Edgware Road and therefore enables higher frequencies throughout the network, but particularly on the branch of the Hammersmith and City Line from Paddington West to Hammersmith. However, it does mean that you have this ridiculous line that kind of spirals in on itself, and you can like, if if you sit on this train long enough, you can see both Paddington and Edgware Road twice, and that's really annoying.
3: Yeah, I mean, so I'm actually go for the Waterloo and City. Right, one because it's full of bankers. It's also it's basically it's a line for people who hate London, isn't it? Right, people who commute in from Virginia Surrey, Water yeah. or wherever, uh, or, and then they get another train to port them from Waterloo to the city. And it's just ultimately it's it's anti-London. So yeah, Waterloo and City. That's that's the second worst.
2: And it wasn't the Tube line until, like nineteen ninety
3: four. Oh my mind. It was dying. this.
2: It was this weird British Rail thing. Despite being, you know... I didn't very really like the Travelator when... as a
3: child. Yeah,
2: I, I used... To, I think when I was probably about eight, I did force some grandparent or another to take me to Monument so that I could get the
3: Escalator linked to Bank. Yeah. When the 1995 uh, stock, which are obviously multicoloured, came in uh, and they were still running the old grey stock, literally one of the I used to quite like as a child because I was way cool, is we'd go to Myland Station where we lived, we'd wait, until a multicoloured one came on. We'd get on that, we'd ride it to Bethnal Green, and then we'd switch over platforms, wait for a multicoloured one and go back. I was a low-maintenance child.
2: Do you want to know something even sadder? Yeah. On Sunday, I did one of my long, pointless walks, and I specifically decided to walk east because they were trying the new crossrail trains on on the line I grew up on. So I thought, I know, I'll walk to Ilford, and I'll get one of those trains back. And I sat on that platform quite a long time before it became clear to me that none of those trains were running today.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry, that is pretty funny. Um, yeah, so third worst.
2: I mean, we're kind of. I mean, between us, we've knocked off four lines. There's only seven to go. Um, I, I, let's not repeat the lines we've already done. We'll be here all night. Fair point. Um,
3: In that case, I'm going to say District Line actually second best for the reasons I've outlined. Third best for the reasons I've outlined. Okay,
2: all right, all right. Hammersmith and City Line is a bit rubbish as well. Really, I mean, it's the problem with the Hammersmith and City Line is it's kind of it's only half there. It's like, you know, it really doesn't do very much that you couldn't do better with other lines.
3: So, yeah, so yeah, I think next have to be the appendix lines, Hammersmith and City, Circle Line. They're all right. I mean, I guess if you live in West London, in which case, let's face it, a great misfortune has already fallen upon you. Is um, West London really London? Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like the methadone, right? You know, like, you're off the real stuff, but it's still better than, you know, nothing. It's it's London for people who don't like London. No, disagree. Clapham is London for people who don't like London. There's still like you know, Hammersmith, Shepherd's Bush. There's like I don't know. It, it's still you get you get a proper quality of passerby, like you know. Whereas just like there's something very like Clapham. It just feels like the kind of person who like complains about London but nonetheless insists on living in it. Yeah,
2: pushing up house prices. Yeah. yeah. Um.
3: So yeah this is why the northern line is hard to rank because on the one hand it's very convenient it's got a lot of great stops angel big fan of that Borough, a big fan of that you know you can go to lots of interesting places on it it's now because of the refurbishment it's fairly cool it feels quite modern some quite lovely stations but it does go through that kind of increasing tunnel of like jack wills oh i don't like london oh there are too many people you know like the kind of People who actually complain that on in London no-one talks to each other. You know, that kind of South Londoner. No, no, no. Also, it's silly that the southernmost line is called the North
2: London. That's brilliant, though. I love that piece of trolling. That's my favourite piece of trolling on the entire network. If they ever do split the Northern line, which they they want to. like they, they, The reason they haven't done it is because to do it, you'd have to rebuild Camden Town so more people can change. And they keep running into planning hell, so it doesn't happen. But they're still talking about that. If they do, there will be one line that runs Edgware, Camden, through the West End to Kennington and then to the new branch to Battersea. The other one will go from High Barnet to Camden through the city and onwards down to Morden. If that happens, I really hope that they, name, they rename the Edgware to Battersea line, which you will notice is the line that doesn't go that far into South London. They should rename that the Southern line.
3: You're a very strange man, aren't you? Oh my god, you know, we've forgotten one of the worst lines, and somehow in your mad district line bashing, central line.
2: The central line is the best line. It,
3: so it's got a lot of great stops on it, you know, I lived on it for a long time, it's where I'm from, but it's boiling. It is boiling. Right. It is the hottest line. Yeah, it's boiling. Um, and not in the sexy way. But no, because of where it goes, you're right. It still has to be. It's it's solidly up there. So it's you know whatever whatever number we're on. It's pretty
2: efficient. It yeah. gets you from from A to B, where A is Acton and B is Buckhurst Hill.
3: Oh, we you know another line we forgot to slate Piccadilly, which obviously is another appendix line. So it just goes I'm in. I mostly
2: that. hate the Piccadilly because I used to work in Hammersmith and I hated it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with the Piccadilly. I, I, I live near Finsbury Park, so I obviously use the Victoria and the Piccadilly line quite a lot. But ultimately, the Piccadilly line is mostly the, que- the answer to the question, oh, the other line is a bit full, or I'm going to the TUC. Like, it is designed to be extra, right? It's designed to be in excess, right? It's an overspill line.
2: You've actually got that the wrong way around. The, the Victoria line was, in fact, built as the, 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 the high-speed Piccadilly, really.
3: Yeah, but the Victoria line's really swish and goes to lots of the places. The Victoria Line is obviously the best one. We're building to that, right? Um, yeah, well, it depends. You've got your weird thing where you're not counting the Docklands Light Railway. But, yeah, I think the Victoria Line is the best of the non-controversially tube ones. Definitely the Victoria Line, number one. What else have we got between that and the Victoria Line?
2: The, we've, we've missed two lines. We haven't done the Metropolitan Line, which... Is it really the tube? It's I mean, basically an overground railway your that has weird, like, a
3: Milosevic-esque stuff. attitude towards the tube lines and the insufficiently pure for you is... Worrying me, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, so the interesting thing about the Metropolitan Line is that it used to be one of the worst because it used to really stink. Do you remember it used to smell of drains? I don't know. This might, I'm not sure I've, I've ever spent much time on the Metropolitan Line. So, um, to, to erode the credibility from my East End upbringing, I, I used to take it to violin class <clears throat> on Saturdays. Where was your violin class? At the um, <clears throat> Royal Academy of Music. Which, but where, it was where free. is the Royal Academy of Music? Baker Street? But mm. it was free was free for some like i don't know weird sharp elbowed are you middle class and poor thing that my mom like dug out um like she was like an expert at like finding the things that were free like provided you hit like various indices of like fsm and like you will do this um so yeah it smelled of poo um also there is a definite period of your life when you're a small violinist when your violin it is slightly too inconvenient for you to carry, and so it's quite a miserable experience lugging it places. What grade did you get to? Got to grade four? Five? I got to grade three. Oh.
2: And And uh, I remember very clearly when I got the results of my grade three, I could see where the examiner had written some numbers in pencil and then gone over them in pen very slightly higher, and I got exactly the pass mark. And I thought that was a signal that I should stop.
3: Oh, so I actually didn't actually do the test, we just went up through the book. So um, when you said you got to grade four, I mean I was grade playing five. grade five five music at the end to a you know acceptable standard, so that counts the look of disgust you can 't see right now on my face I'm just saying that yeah. counts
2: we've only missed one line we kind of i mean we're kind of done out of order, but we haven't done the jubilee. Where are we in the jubilee
3: The jubilee line, I think has to be um Third, behind the district line and the Victoria line, beautiful stations, Canary Wharf, one of the great bits of architecture of its time, glass, stone, it just you walk into it and or, or the, the underbelly of Westminster when you're like, this is what the future is like, this is progress, this is civilization.
2: Do you, are you are you old enough to remember when they opened the Jubilee Line extension? I do remember them. Yeah, it's a very the exciting
3: because yeah. that was
2: my A level year, so it was a very formative year for yeah, me. That one in the ninety nine did my A levels, yeah, went to university, and
3: Stratford. That's pretty cool. And
2: they opened the Jubilee Line extension. Yeah. And so. there,
3: yeah, oh, but obviously fourth, fifth, maybe fourth. So, but after Jubilee, overground, solid services a lot of bit of North London, bits of North London that needed to be serviced. It's a good line, I rate it. I bang it. Anyway, and the number one, which you refuse to count, is obviously the Docklands Light Railway, because it's the definition of, like, a future line. You go over water. I used to take it to work when I worked in a bookshop. You go over water? Yeah, on a bridge. You think... You do realise that other lines
2: also go over water... On bridges and have been doing that since quite early in the history of the railways. But not in a
3: cool way, right? Name name me an equivalent of that bit where you're going towards Canary Wharf or a way down to Mudchute. Or often I used to go to the the dentist um, uh, on that line, like swooping. I used to feel like I was working in the future. Yeah, I was travelling on this DLR, then I'd get out, go to the books, etc. at Canary Wharf, and some people would shout at me. Then later on, I was back working in the future till you arrived at Beckton. If we were ranking stations, Beckton would be the worst place. Literally, that place looks like somewhere after the apocalypse. No goods, services, supermarkets, amenities of any kind.
2: You know they filmed Full Metal Jacket around there. Oh, but makes sense.